All right. Well, tonight, um, I just want to introduce um, Jensi Uman tonight. She's going to be sharing her story. Uh, Jensi's in Saji and her family have been a part of the church for like 10 years. I think probably about three years, right? Um, and uh, they're just such a faithful part of our community. Uh, they serve in a lot of different ways, and Jensi is pretty amazing. Uh, she, as a family, support missions, but she actually serves on a missions board that supports uh, missions board in Africa. Um, she also is just kind of an all-around amazing person, mama too. And so I invited her to come speak, and she said yes. And so I'm so thankful people say yes to me. So Jensi, come on up, and she's going to share her story of why she chose to follow Jesus and then why she continues to follow him. He'll keep his sermon to five minutes as well. I don't know. Uh, Sajin and I and our girls, Elena and Sophia, we've been here for over two years. I can't remember exactly. So um, we love this church and this community, and we truly value our time that we spend with all of you here. Um, so I asked Sophia if she wanted to be here while I spoke, and she said, can I see your notes? And she read a couple lines, and she was like, nah, no thanks. It bo looks boring. <laughs> Um, so apologies ahead of time. So to tell you uh, my story of why Jesus, I have to give you a little bit of my background. I was born and raised in a very Christian family. It's as Christian as you could get. You know, they're not just religious folks. They walk the talk. Um, we used to have family prayers every day, twice a day. The first one at 5 a.m., my mom would lead a, a, a lead us in a hymn, and we would read the Bible together. And then I couldn't wait to get to the prayer part because it was at 5 a.m., and you know I could close my eyes till Amen. Um, and I memorized many scriptures, and I thought I did all the right things, you know. Uh, but something that could happen to you when you uh, do all the right things, or you think you're doing all the right things. Um, Something that could happen to your heart when you're surrounded by so much prayer is complacency. Uh, complacency in your relationship with Jesus and also complacency in your relationship with people around you. I don't know what dictionary you all use these days, but I use dictionary.com. And it defines complacency as a feeling of calm satisfaction with your own abilities or situation that prevents you from trying harder. It's a condition where we're okay with where we are at and we don't open our hearts to and our eyes to the people around us. You know, we insulate ourselves and very guilty of this. We look at our lives, we're happy where we are and we don't seek to grow. You know, complacency in our relationship with Jesus leads us to disconnect from the rest of our relationships. God does not want us to dwell in complacency. In Revelation 3.15, he talks about lukewarmness. So I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. People usually need a strong jolt to wake up from this complacency. And that's what I got. The biggest problem for me when I was in college, when I was 21, was securing a job right before I finished my final term. You know, there were all these companies vying for cheap graduates, and that I thought that was my ticket to freedom, uh, getting a job before I finished, wrapped up college. Well, the first company came, 
they didn't want me. They picked my friends. And, you know, that was my biggest joke. So I went to a Christian university, and we have uh, rooms called prayer cells where you could sit in quiet reflection, and, you know, that's what I did. Um, growing up, my dad had a favorite verse, Romans 8.28, you know, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That gave me strength, but also God led me to Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and plans to give you a future. That was a turning point in my life, learning and realizing that Jesus loves me unconditionally. His love for me is constant. Thank you for the songs today. It reiterated that fact that, you know, his love is unconditional and it's boundless. And he knows where we, pick, where we drop off and where to pick up. He knows his love for us is unconditional. His love is the one constant that I can count on. However, my life and my, the life of folks around me can be affected by my relationship with Jesus. So one of my whys, uh, one of my why Jesus, is that the more I invest in my relationship with him, his voice becomes clearer. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, you know, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things, things you don't know, you know, things you can't find on Google. So John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So the deeper our relationship gets with him, the better he helps us to discern his, and recognize and tune into his voice to follow him. It helps us tune out the distracting sounds of this world. The more I invest in my relationship with Jesus, the better my relationship with people around me gets. You know, he opens our eyes to how fallen this world is. Uh, he uh, helps us invest our lives in, and pour our lives into the people, or lives of the people around us. Matthew 25, 35, 36 says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Um, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Our relationship with him is how we can turn into, we can become the good Samaritan where our actions matter more than our words. So the more I invest in my relationship with Jesus, the lighter my burdens become. Peter says, cast all your care on him for he cares for you. I can trade my sorrows for joy, my bitterness for his goodness. And this is how I can look past my circumstances. Isn't it a good feeling when we can fall back into his arms and let him take the lead? We have an anchor when storms surround us. The winds and the waves, they obey him. He speaks calm into our lives. We have eternal hope when life takes, brings us down. We're bound by the loss of this world, um, but he can give us peace that passes all understanding. So live with the hope that this world is not our home. We're just pilgrims and we're passing through. From my vantage point, so what, what do we have to lose here by following Jesus and deepening in our relationship with him? From my vantage point, I say nothing. It's a win-win situation. You know, um, at work we use a phrase called agile development, which just means that you're constantly working on a project. You know, when you work on something, it gets better over time. So that's how I want my relationship with Jesus to be. Constantly iterating till we get better. 
I want to close with Psalm 5.3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait expectantly. I find so much comfort in that verse, you know, knowing that I can turn on the autopilot and let Jesus take the wheel. Wow, that was great. Thank you so much for sharing that. <clears throat> it uh, sounds like for Jensi, she found this lifeline. And isn't it interesting that life creates situations where we find out what we thought our lifeline was. And being a 20-year-old student, your lifeline is like life, that life could actually happen. You can get a job and do your thing, and she said it would be freedom for her, you know. I mean, what? that's life. We think that's our lifeline, and when that doesn't happen... Well, we got to find a different lifeline, and I'm glad that she leaned into Jesus during this moment. Um, I believe that as we um, hear these stories and from different people in our community, you're going to hear that Jesus is life. I mean, that's life. We're not talking about getting what you want. It's not being all happy all the time. It's none of those things. It's real life. And when we, um, when I invite people to share, you know, I, I don't like coordinating with my sermon kind of thing, and um, I just kind of pray and, and, and just um, kind of go through these next few weeks as I feel things I want to share. And, you know, tonight we're talking about uh, Lazarus and what Jesus did. And I just think of your story, Gen Z, and thinking about he's your lifeline and those, man, those just moments of just hopelessness. And, and being in that prayer closet or that prayer cell, um, being able to just seek him. Boy, that's, man, my whole hope today is um, this one truth here is that you'll discover through every week as we've been talking about this, but especially tonight, that just being close to Jesus matters. I tell you, there's so many things we think matter, right? We think money matters. Money provides power and security and options. Money matters, right? We think that having people like us matter, right? We think making our boss happy matters. We think all these other things in life matter, but then when your lifeline gets dropped out from underneath you, you're going to find out, and this is my prayer for you as you walk with Jesus for many, many years, that being close to him actually matters. Would you just receive that tonight? There's things tugging at you tonight. There's things going to be tugging at you next week on things that matter, things that you're ambitious for, things you've got to get done, your, tech, your checklist, that, those mental notes that we have when we feel accomplished. But I want to tell you that being close to Jesus matters church and would you hear this is my deep passion of my life is just to be close to him it just happens to be that i think my calling was a pastor but this is my real calling in life is just to be close to him and i want to tell you that being close to jesus matters and i hope you've heard that in these several different stories you've heard and hopefully hear it next week as well um let's read uh parts of john chapter 11 i didn't put it all up there because um it's kind of long so turn john chapter 11 I'm going to read bits and pieces here. I'm just going to consider um, how Jesus um, heals Lazarus and in this story and see what God wants to speak to us tonight. Okay, would you just open your hearts as I share about this, maybe from a little different perspective that you're not familiar for, uh, familiar to. Uh, just open your heart tonight. So John chapter 11, uh, we're going to start just verses 1 through 6 there. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Talk about being close. 
So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, who lo- you love is sick. And Jesus hears this and he says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? Come on, Jesus, pick up the pace. And then he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea, okay? Uh, Skip down to verse 17 here, verse 17. On his arrival, he gets there finally. Jesus, you're late. Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus clarifies here, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Skip down to verse 32. I know I'm jumping around, but verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord. They replied in verse 35, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, he comes to the tomb. There was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. But Lord, Martha says, the sister of Lazarus, by the time, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. They took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When Jesus said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him it matters being close to Jesus. Interesting, there's this play on closeness in the passage. There is a physical closeness, right? He's not there. Like when we think of someone there for us, we think they're standing there right next to us kind of thing. So there's this kind of this play happening here, this imagery of Jesus being physically far away. Further, there is a time constraint here. There's a time limit, right? So that in everybody's eyes, there's a limit to when you can do something. There's a limit to when you have to work and do what we think you could do. There's this kind of play happening here that Jesus doesn't seem hurried at all, that it doesn't matter to him that he's far away or it doesn't matter to him that he's late in our terminology that he's late, right? But for Jesus in this passage, it just seems like for him, he's, he's not late at all. I want you to hear in this passage that being close to Jesus matters because Everything is submitted to the glory and sovereignty of God. And the other characters in the story don't quite get that, right? They're thinking, you're late. They're thinking, he should have been here, so you weren't here, right? 
They're thinking in terms of like, is he here before the end had come? But they don't understand that everything is submitted to the glory and the sovereignty of God. Time is not sovereign. Let me say that again to you. Time is not sovereign. It's a limit. It's a boundary. It's for the world that we live in, it's like final. But time is no boundary to God. There's no physical limitations for him. For him. There is no such thing as too far gone for God. There's no such thing as too far gone for God. You didn't get into the college when they said you're supposed to get into college. There's no thing too far gone for God. I wish I could say it a thousand times tonight to you. Because when Jesus is close, it matters. And there is nothing too far gone for God. God can heal anytime. He can give life to anyone and anything at any time. Let me say that again. He can give life to anyone, anything at any time. Do not let the physical barrier of time or Jesus should have been here dictate God's sovereignty. He's above all those things. You can remind your boss about that when he wakes up. We recognize that in this story, there's a miracle of life happening. Jesus proclaims, I'm the resurrection and life, and there's a miracle of life that he's raising Lazarus from the dead. And that's a great miracle, and that's a whole other sermon that I could preach. But I want to talk about the other miracle happening in this story. See, the other miracle happening in the story is the pace that Jesus walked this whole time. The miracle here. Jesus being fully human and fully God and divine, it's the pace he kept through the whole chaos and, 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 and crazy things that are happening. And death is right next door knocking. Death already happened. We're done. People are crying. He's crying. There's, this chaos is happening emotionally. But the miracle here, I believe, is the pace that Jesus kept. The resurrection part of the story happened in a few verses, right? But what Jesus reiterates over and over to his disciples is, don't worry about this stuff, right? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the struggle. He, he goes into Martha and Mary, same kind of deal. He, then he goes to the grave and basically says to Lazarus, don't worry about the time, Lazarus. I'm telling you to come forth now. The miracle of the story is the pace Jesus kept with the Father. Sovereign, no matter what. All-powerful, no matter what. And as this that I believe that is the miracle of this passage. When we have fear and worry, we've lost our perspective. Jesus' confidence was in the Father's power. And the miracle here is that he could put all of his belief in his power and not let what he sees rock that or change that or make him waver. Don't worry about the time. You think I'm late. I'm right on time. Jesus knew the Father's power, and that was the pace that he kept in this whole chaos. Now, when Jesus cries, you think, uh, it doesn't make sense. Jesus, you're about to raise this guy from the dead. Why are you crying? You should tell everybody and scold everybody for crying. Rather, I believe that's the miracle. As a human, in the sorrow, he kept his pace with the Father. You can be sad about something and not sin. You can be sad about something and not be worried about it. You can be sad about something and still trust God. It was this pace that he kept in this moment. Do you see the miracle? 
I want to have the kind of divine peace that I can keep pace with God no matter the world of this world. Let me say it a different way. I want to have that kind of peace and that kind of pace no matter the sorrow, the pain, no matter what everybody else is talking about, no matter what I'm telling myself, no matter what I smell, what I see, <laughs> I keep the pace of the Father and recognize he's all-powerful, all-sovereign, and I can trust him. How divine. What a miracle for these disciples and Martha and Mary to see Jesus stay still. What a miracle. They could see him stay steady. This is the best way I can illustrate this. Uh, I'm not a music person at all, but uh, in junior high choir, when I was in sixth grade, I was in choir. You didn't know that, did you? Oh, yeah. Show choir. Don't give me a reason to show you my, my dad here. Okay. In sixth grade choir, I remember it, uh, the first day of class that the teacher brought out this metronome, correct? Which now is all digital and it's all that kind of stuff. So I don't even know if they make them anymore. But I just remember, and I was on Follow of Jesus, and I just remember sitting in this choir room. She brought out this metronome, explained what it was, and said, this is how you keep rhythm of the beat. It is, and it goes back and forth, and it can change the pace of it. I can remember that like it was yesterday, there in my sixth grade choir, you know, and seeing this metronome. And this has come back to me many times over the course of my life. And what I believe uh, this kind of has come about to me and to illustrate this is, once God sets the metronome, you stick with that beat. You stick with that pace. No matter the money problems, no matter how much you're angry at yourself, no matter the shame, no matter what people want, no matter what you didn't do, what you did do, what didn't happen, what dreams didn't happen, what you hoped for, what didn't happen, what, what did happen, you stick to his pace. Now, I've experienced times in my life where I've actually thought about this metronome because I'm in a moment where God kind of, convicts me and checks me and says, listen, you're going so fast, you've missed my pace. I just want you to know I'm task-oriented. I will be pushing Jesus if you get there before day two, okay? You're not following my metronome. You're not following my pace. There have been other times in my life where that pace was um, a certain pace, but my pace was too slow. Whatever it was that got me down, whatever it was too heavy for me, whatever that got me discouraged or frustrated, that kept me down and kept me off pace and God convicted me in these moments. And I remember just this picture of this metronome coming forward and say, get back on pace, you're missing it. And I would say my life with Jesus has been trying to keep on beat with him and his metronome. This happened this week for me actually. Um, uh, Chris is on call this weekend long week and so the weekend she's gone working and so I'm with the kids and I just kind of done this thing with four kids. I'm like, well, I have four kids. I have a great excuse just to stay home and get pity from everybody, right? So I would just stay home and lock myself in. Sometimes I wouldn't do it, whatever. I would just stay home. And I, well, on Monday, Tuesday, I was praying. I can't remember what day I was praying and I just felt like God telling me, pick up the pace and saying, get in the game. So I thought, man, I got to do something Thursday, or, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so I took all the kids to wherever we went, places. Everybody all came back home, so that was great. But I just remember that was one of those moments when I thought about this metronome. Pick up the pace, Lord. Pick up the pace. Not just in my role as a dad. That's happened in other roles in my life. And you know what I found out? Being close to Jesus matters. The closer I am with his pace, the less worried I get. 
the closer I am to what his pace is, the better my, my, my relationships are. The better I'm connected to his pace, the better my life goes. Also in this passage, I love this passage too because we think um, what real hope is, is in answering our prayers, but it's not answering our prayers. You're like, you read this passage, and you're like, man, this is so cool. Like, my brother died, and then Jesus is here, and, you know, this thing happened, and Jesus, my, my, my brother Lazarus is alive again. You know, and it's like we think hope is in that. Hope actually isn't in that. The hope of this story is that you're closer to Jesus. That's the hope. The resurrection of Lazarus is just a fruit of that relationship, okay? And Jesus actually says it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, right? He says, would you just believe? <laughs> Don't believe that Lazarus could be alive. Just believe in me. This is hope, church. Belief in him. Hope is being close to him, trusting him and his pace. There is nothing in your life that could be too far gone for God for his healing, for his life, for his abundance, okay? Last thing I want to tell you is to remember that the reason why you've heard these stories, why people follow him, uh, just as tonight was how she can hear his voice again. How she can deepen a relationship with him. I mean, that matters for everything. I mean, you heard that last week. You heard like when I shared my story. It's this incredible thing of a walk with Jesus that's so close that actually brings life to your life. Why do you follow him? Because he could be so close to you that when faced with death, when faced with a limit of time or something physical, you can still believe. Why do you follow him? Because being close to him is so powerful that his sovereignty can be the very pace of your life. Because when you're at work, he can be close question is who have you given your heart to or who holds your hand? I have found in life that my boss has held my pace. I'd be so scared of getting in trouble or so scared of this or so wanting this promotion that he held the pace, he or she held the, the pace instead of giving that to God. Maybe a parent has held the pace for your life. You get that as a child, we grow up, we think, Man, that's whatever our parents say. We're connected to that. It connects to us emotionally, and it was hard for us to break free from that, whatever it may be, whether culture, whatever it is, your family of origin. At some point, your pace has got to be the Father. Maybe it's something that's going on in American society. I am not an American first, neither are you. You are a citizen of heaven first and foremost. I don't care who's in office. I don't care how you vote. I don't care what happens to this country. You are a citizen of heaven first. Your pace is his pace, right? And Facebook is his too, so be careful. Okay. No other religion offers this level of closeness. Do you understand the pitch? The pitch isn't later pie in the sky. The pitch is right now. In the midst of death being so close to me, I can have hope. And being close to Jesus matters. As we've gone over this few weeks, I've got, had a few questions for you that I hope that you've been considering. As you've heard Jensi's story, maybe you've had a crisis moment and you're overtaken with worry. Did you turn to Jesus like she did? 
in the prayer closet, just all in the prayer closet, in the prayer cell, or she turned to something else to cope. We all cope. Let me say that again. We all cope. You cope. I cope. We all cope. He's drawing you closer, church. He's drawing you closer. Your life isn't about just getting by. It's about drawing closer. What part of your heart isn't like him? Man, what part of your heart is off pace? Right now, what could God be showing you through your life right now? Through that relationship, through that circumstance, through this church you attend, through these sermons you're hearing, uh, you know, all, through the, your boss yelling at you at work, you know, the stress at work, all this fear at work, I'm going to lose my job, all this, the fear of an earthquake you hear one day, right? We hear all these different things. What could God be speaking to you in this moment, right? What could it be that God's trying to tell me about walking with him through his life? What is God saying to me? What, as you've heard Jensi's story of, man, God just being lifeline and deepening relationship with him, becoming the way to deepen relationship with every single person that you meet. Here's how you could recover this. Is, um, I've asked you this week to pray this powerful prayer. Your will, Lord, nothing more, nothing less. I don't want anything else. And I want to tell you, church, I really wish I could tell you it's your will to get the job that she didn't get, right? To get that thing that you want. I know. I, I, I want that for you. And sometimes I caution myself. I don't always pray for what people ask me to pray for. Over the years, I've learned that. I, I don't, it sounds bad. Now you're not going to want to ask me for prayer requests. But sometimes if you ask me something, I pray first. I'm like, I don't know if I should pray that for them. I don't know. I pray about this. Like, what, what is God could be doing? It could be something greater. So always when I pray for you or pray for someone, the, the number one thing I'm praying is they'll draw close to Jesus. That worry will die and faith will arise. That's my prayer before you pray for whatever else it is. And don't get me wrong, I pray for everything in my life. I pray for different grass. I pray for all kinds of stuff, okay? I pray for all kinds of things in our family, right? I, I pray, I believe in prayer. I pray, 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 pray. I remember as a kid in high school, I lay my hands on my test. Before I took the test, God helped me. I didn't study, right? God showed me grace, right? God helped me in this moment. I remember as a seminary student being exhausted, taking 15 grad hours in a, in a semester and being lonely and tired and frustrated, like saying, God, I need to write this paper. I laid my hands on this paper on the computer. That God helped me. I pray, 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 pray. But I'm telling you, church, I'm praying for you. That you would draw close to him because being close to him matters. It matters in the most difficult times of your life. I feel like I've been preaching this for a while about this. Anyway, could you set aside some time for reflection this week? Man, you may find just a minute. I know it's so hard, right? Just take a few minutes. God, what are you trying to show me here? What is it about my heart that wants something else besides you, right? What am I dependent upon, not you? What could you be doing in my life right now through this conflict or struggle or this frustrating thing? Lord, in this moment of silence, I pray, Lord, that I would have hope, not in just these things that happen to me, these good things, but I could be hopeful in you. Would you stand with me, church, tonight? I don't know what it is for you. That's why I started out this um, worship tonight with asking you to focus on something that God's done for you in the past to kind of solidify that because to remind you that in this moment that God's with you and that's the best thing for you is for God to be with you, with you in all the things in this world. I mean, how else could he let us be here on the floor if he wasn't here and if he wasn't going to be in your life? I don't know what it is for you, church. Maybe for you, 
or just consider this story, you've missed it. You've been hoping for resurrection in your life. You've been praying. You've been demanding it of God, that God would resurrect these dead things. And I have 100% faith that he can. But I want to tell you, I want you to have faith that God, that Jesus can be close to you and that he could change the pace of your heart with his peace. Don't be hurried. Don't be hurried when God's not hurried. Don't run out of that, that moment of pain or that season of sorrow, or that season of you feel like God's not answering. Don't, don't run from that. Don't distract yourself with uh, your cell phone or, t- or Netflix or something. Don't run from that. Sit in that moment because you're trying to change the pace, and he's just right there trying to tell you, don't you get it? <laughs> Being close to me is what matters. Maybe for you, you've just kind of been in this low. You're like, man, I can't get out of this. I don't know what this funk is. I'm discouraged. I feel like there's a 1,000 pounds uh, on my shoulders here, and I, I don't know what's happening here. Let me just cry out to God. God, help me to get up and go a little bit. God, help me to take the, a great risk in my life. God, get me on pace with you. I don't know what it is. And I just want to tell you, the pace of God, the pace of heaven, does not look like the pace of this earth and the system of this world. I used to be in sales, and I hated their pace. I hated it because it was just not what have you done for me uh, recently. It's like, what have you done for me today? I used to hate this pace. They always equated more is better. And that's not the kingdom. Being close to Jesus is better. Everything else is up to him. More is not better. I hate the pace of this world. I said this personal goal in my life to fit into a size medium. No, I'm kidding. I said a personal goal in my life to live an unhurried life. Oriented, I'm so competitive. You don't want to play sports with me. I'm competitive. I mean, like I'm like closing my mouth when Leo's playing soccer to not instruct him to coach him from the side. I'm like close, holding my mouth closed, you know. And it's like I want to have peace. I want to have an unhurried life. I want to listen to the words that you talk to me when we're in conversation. I want them to come into my heart. I just want to be unhurried. I want his. I actually want to hear God when you talk. God, we want to hear you right now. The pace is too fast. We've gone too fast for some of us. Lord, it's too fast. We've got somebody else in our ear that got our pace. Maybe it's just American society. Maybe it's, you know, there's a comparison game of neighbor next door or friend next door or whatever it is. Lord, God, get us off that pace. We just want to walk your pace. It seems like you were late, Jesus, seeing Lazarus. You're not late. Lord, let us let go of anybody else's pace but yours. Lord, for some of us, you need to speed us up. You've been out of the game. We're watching. And you're saying, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I've got a better pace to give you life. Lord, I'm just praying right now. And I just feel like I need to pray this for somebody. That right now, in Jesus' name, for that person that can't get up and go right now, Holy Spirit, I'm praying tonight the greatest prayer ever. That that person would find you right now. That you'd be enough in this moment, Lord. They would just lean into you. In Jesus' name, be their source, Lord. Be their pace, Lord. Be their life in Jesus' name. And as we worship tonight, as we close with a couple songs, maybe you need to sit, maybe you need to stand. I don't know what it is, but I just want you to get your heart, your pace back on. God, would you lean in to God tonight?